83 grand a month is the magic million dollar run rate number. You've got 14 days, 15 days left in the year. Do you guys think you can break a million dollar run rate by the end of December? We're, we're, we're going to try. Um, we're we're going to get pretty close. I think, I think if not uh, this month, then January. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey, folks, my guest today is Adam Fields. He's the founder and CEO of ARTA Art, the shopping cart for collectibles. Before joining the company, he was VP at artspace.com, where he became hyper aware of the difficulties and high friction nature of transactions for collectibles and unique objects. Today, Arda is used by market leaders in the collectible space across auctions, merchants, and marketplaces worldwide. He holds a BA from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and, and though he grew up in downtown Chicago, he has called New York City home for the past 10 years. Adam, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right. So what, is, what does it mean to be a shopping cart for collectibles? Yeah. So the whole idea here is that the, the collectible ecosystem in our mind is really one of the last segments of retail to be transformed by the internet. And one of the core reasons for that is because the high friction nature uh, around the transactions. Um, so what we're really trying to do is provide marketplaces, auctions, and merchants in the collectible and high item value space. So art, furniture, antiques, jewelry, jewelry baseball cards, uh, et cetera, the ability to build their businesses on our digital infrastructure. And what that really means is it allows um, these sellers to transact easier so that you can combine uh, an item with the cost of shipping uh, to have a more contained transaction. It allows customer or sellers rather to sell and reach their customers globally by automating and scaling their fulfillment function. And then what that does too is opens up post-purchase visibility and order tracking for all stakeholders. So would so you we call really yourself? Focused, I mean, would you call yourself a marketplace then, or no? We started as a marketplace and pivoted pretty hard uh, away from a marketplace more towards an integrated option as we saw people needing a, an end-to-end um, solution. Um, so we really have an, an integrated API that allows an online platform um, to go from click to inquire uh, to click to buy. So, so who's paying you then, the sellers of the art or the buyers of the art? Uh, well, it's, it's much more than, than, than art, obviously, um, but it's really a B2B2C uh, type transaction. So we're integrating with a merchant directly, uh, an auction house directly, uh, or a marketplace directly. Um, they then can surface shipping costs, uh, automate their entire checkout and fulfillment process, and stay in touch with their customers once orders uh, have shipped and have been on, on their way. So we're being paid for our software um, by the merchant uh, or the seller, and then um, on the transaction, uh, we're taking some um, some margin on services, uh, whether that's uh, shipping uh, or insurance. Yep, and these I mean, you have big brands using folks like Sotheby's, for example, use your tool to manage their their you know both sellers, buyers, transactions, the whole the whole backend API. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so we're having some pretty large customers and enterprises building their digital businesses on our infrastructure. So it's 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 an exciting time. Interesting. Okay, so tell me a little bit. I mean, how should we think about what these customers pay you on average per month to use the tool? And what do you price against? Is it is it number of unique SKUs processed or something else? 
Yeah, so we charge based on API calls. Um, we have a, a free model uh, for not integrated customers, which is mostly for smaller teams um, or folks without uh, technical capabilities. For larger teams um, that are trying to really build a, a custom uh, solution to automate their entire flow, um, we do charge based on usage. And that usage is both on API calls and then uh, seats as they start to scale up. How many API calls can someone use this for like for free? So what a thousand a month is free or something different? So we don't offer any any API API calls um, for free. Um, the the less the less integrated you are, the less you pay. Um, you can ship a million items a month um, if you're doing it on your own. If you're really trying to 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 get a little bit more uh, automated with your workflows, uh, trying to optimize your team and overhead. Um, we then try to transfer some of that value onto our technology, um, whether that's automating pre-sale estimates, um, automating emails and post-sale communications. Um, we charge against a variety of calls on pricing, uh, tracking, visibility, uh, et cetera. Okay. And I want to go back, Adam, and get more of your backstory here, sort of how you got into this. We sort of jumped right into current state of, of, of things, but you learned a lot early on. You moved away from marketplaces. But before we go there, I mean, so, so what's sort of the sweet spot, right? Like what's, a, what's the average customer going to pay you per month to use the technology, the API technology? API technology, if you're a pre-launch customer and you're trying to get to market faster and don't really want to have to build out all this infrastructure, hire all the internal teams, et cetera, uh, it, it'll start at a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, if you're a, a large team uh, that might have 25 to 50 people um, and are really trying to change uh, what your overhead and sunk costs are, um, that'll run higher. Um, the more the more you ship, the more you transact, uh, the more you'll pay, but the less on, on a unit level. Um, and, and so we're, we're quite well aligned. And uh, and and we 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 want to do well when our customers do well. Adam, I just have no context. I don't know this space at all. What is a team of fifty people? How many API calls might might they be making per month? It depends on how a customer would utilize uh, utilize the API. I mean, we're really sitting you know pre sale transaction and and post sale. Um, so sometimes an auction uh, or a marketplace might want to show their customers what it would cost to ship and fulfill um, before they buy something to try to build trust uh, and create a more seamless transaction. Sometimes people might want to just fold it right into the transaction um, themselves to make for a more seamless checkout. So it really depends on how customers want to orient um, their businesses. But we do see a pretty clear ratio um, between you know calls uh, to transactions that we try to articulate to our customers as we go through the purchase and evaluation process. Interesting. So, so what is, uh, before we, again, we'll go to the backstory here in a second, but like, I guess in November, how many total API calls did you process? Are we talking like hundreds of millions or like a million or like 10,000? No, no, no. We're talking more in the, in, in the 10,000 range. We, we okay. launched our, our new product, um, in Q2, um, and we launched with a pretty, um, you know, focused set, uh, of customers. You mentioned, uh, a few of them and are really starting to grow with them month over month. We launched in, in April, uh, and it pretty much doubled, um, you know, quarter of a quarter uh, since then. In terms of number of API calls? In terms of overall revenue. Um, oh, revenue. Uh, great. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. So, so, and, and just be, I mean, one of the things I like to do before going into calls is just look at founders pricing pages and go, do these guys have a shot just based off pricing alone? The highest NDR companies today, they like they almost always have this number of API calls, right? That's the utility-based metric and the number of seats. And if you can align value directly to your product value directly to like the subbies of the world, I gotta imagine your net dollar retention is just gonna be through the freaking roof if you're doing a good job for your customers. 
I think that's right. And I think that's also, I like to say the problem is the opportunity and the opportunity is the problem. This kind of collectibles market is is so antiquated. And, and really the struggle here is trying to find customers that have recognized that they need to digitize their businesses. Um, so trying to have people understand what an API is, how they can integrate it um, into their business and see the benefits, not just for themselves, but for their customers too, is really kind of why the, the, the timing um, is starting to align uh, in the market. Interesting. Okay. Take me into the backstory here. You mentioned you just launched this in April, but when did you write the first line of code for the platform? The backstory here is that I previously, as you mentioned, was part of the founding team of a, of a uh, marketplace called artspace.com, which was trying to make collectibles uh, more accessible to a broader audience. And really there saw how high friction and, and difficult these transactions were, but also how difficult it was to build these types of businesses online. So we saw that there was a huge fragmentation across the vendor base that can allow um, sellers um, to connect with the vendor to ship these items. Again, we're dealing with collectible and high value items. This isn't just that I need a shipping label, here you go. This is more specialized packing, insurance, and services um, uh, uh, to get from point A to point B. Um, so there's not really a consolidated solution. So what we really saw is that if you can build a consolidated solution to, to, to connect uh, merchants uh, or sellers with those um, specialized service providers, all of a sudden you're taking a ton of the legwork uh, out of the entire process. So as a marketplace, we really were, were aligning towards that. Over time, we kind of saw, well, people people want to, to connect with providers, but they also want a full integrated, automated, and scalable end-to-end solution that can really open up these digital so, and e-commerce Thought I'm just to jump in the timelines there, right? So you left Artspace back, I think, in 2014, right? And jumped right into Arta. So 2014 is sort of like first line of code, I guess, first experimentation started back then? 20, mid-2015 was first line of code in the uh, for the marketplace model. Um, okay. And then we transitioned um, right before COVID. We said, you know what, this is this is working, um, but it's really not the, the big, um, you know, high high size outcome that we want here. So we're going to go more towards this uh, integrated B two B platform style. Wait, that's API. a bold move, Adam. I want to dive more into that because it takes a lot of courage to move away from a whole business model, right? So, like, let me let me dig here for a second. So it's working. It sounds sure. like it was good, but it wasn't great. What was good? I mean, how can you share? Like, what was revenue pre COVID? Revenue pre-COVID, we were doing a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, a month, you know, again, working with some of the largest, um, you know, more offline merchants in the space. Um, but we saw that that it was really trending it towards digital, towards e-commerce. Um, we wanted to open up these digital channels uh, and a marketplace model made it a little bit difficult to do that. You're dealing with people that are a little bit antiquated in how they act. Um, so if you can find a way to more deeply embed yourself into these operations, all of a sudden you're, you're becoming a more scalable and sticky solution. So just to be clear, when you say like pre-COVID in 2019, you're doing a couple hundred thousand per month. Was that GMV going through the marketplace or was that your cut? That was GMV going through the marketplace. Okay. So you were making what? Five, very small, five, 10% of two or 300 grand a month, something like that. No, we were making like 10 to 20%. Um, oh, that's a healthy take rate. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good take rate for a marketplace. And, and again, it wasn't that we, we thought the model was super successful, but we saw the largest opportunity was really trying to align with these larger customers. And, and we built a product that all of a sudden uh, allowed us to integrate with the artsies of the world, the largest digital collectibles marketplaces, the Sotheby's of the world, the largest auction house in the world. So really, we were struggling to find that product market fit with some of these largest, the largest customers. So really reoriented uh, our, our product and solution uh, around that. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that's really really interesting. I would say though that is a that is a healthy. I mean, I see a lot of marketplace models. It's very rare you see someone be able to get away with a ten percent take rate. So the value is clearly there. What what did you communicate to the team? I mean, how did you get everyone on board with saying, you know what, we're killing this thirty thousand dollar a month business in terms of gross revenue? I mean, it it, it at, at the one on the one hand, it was very easy. On the other hand, there was a lot of kind of um, transitionary period where we needed a. To, to really hunker down and build something without a lot of the reward. Um, the the good news was that during COVID there wasn't a lot going on anyways at the very early stages, so it was a very you know opportune time to to go heads down and build. Um, but I think people saw that it was the right solution, and now we're starting to really see the fruits the fruits of our labor and that decision. Many of you guys listening have built incredible SaaS tools to help other founders, specific industries, really get value or make some system easier. The problem is you can't help your clients until they import some portion of their data. And you've considered on your Trello board and your Sprint timelines, spending weeks building a CSV importer for certain data sets. You're smiling right now because you know I'm right. And either you do it and you waste engineering time or you don't do it and your customers have a horrible time getting onboarded. And listen, let's face the facts. Your ability to give value to your customers sometimes is very dependent on their ability to get you their data. Once you have the data, everything is really smooth. Well, this exact problem probably explains why FlatFile is growing so quick. They've raised over $44 million and they do exactly this, the data onboarding platform for your marketing teams, your engineering teams, they enable you to get usable data faster so you can focus on what matters most to your business. And the fastest growing companies, like my friend ClickUp, Zeb, multi-billion dollar valuation, they all use FlatFile. Now, FlatFile reached out, they wanted to sponsor, I said, do you got a good deal for us? And they do. For anyone listening, any anyone that's part of the top entrepreneurs community or get latka you can get a deal now to get started today at nathanlatka.com forward slash flat file and they make it so easy by the way their onboarding is beautiful you don't have to commit to a bunch of stuff you can actually see a demo live instantly right now check it out nathanlatka.com forward slash flat file take me back to how you chose to fund this uh, i don't think you've bootstrapped you chose to raise early on what was the first round the first round was we did a, a million dollar pre-seed round. Uh, I think that was in like uh, 15, 16 uh, area. Mm-hmm. And and was that sort of, you know, a million on a five cap note sort of pretty standard? At the time, I, you know, the venture landscape has changed so much. I think at the time that was like one on a four or five post, um, which which I think was a pretty large uh, pre-seed check at the time. It's big for 2016. Now, uh, <laughs> yeah, now, you know, that's... Um, that that's a one person haven't even thought about a product that I just had a founder an idea. <laughs> Pre-revenue. Kind of yeah. No track record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Keep yeah. the story going here. So you raise a million, you're experimenting in the marketplace model. What, what was the next round after that? Then we, we started to see some pretty solid growth on the marketplace side, raised a $3 million seed um, off of that. Um, and that uh, was in about uh, 17, 18 um, range. Um, continued to, to grow pretty well. Um, but again, like saw a little bit of friction in trying to really land these, these larger enterprise um, type customers and really start to scale um, these, these e-commerce operations. Mm-hmm. Take And then keep going forward. You raised additional capital, I think, recently. Yeah. So, you know, around end of 2019 and uh, beginning of 2020, we said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go for it. We're going to, we, we, we conceptualize this product. Um, we started to build it. We started to, to pre-sell it. Um, raised a, a $4 million 
um, seed, seed plus, whatever you want to call it, really around this new direction, um, which was which was which was quite successful. That allowed us to continue to accelerate the build of the product, pre-sign a bunch of these customers, get that product to market. And now, since it's been in market, we're seeing some pretty uh, rapid growth um, since we launched it in Q2, uh, and see 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 kind of that product market fit point um, really starting to come at us pretty hard, which is both exciting and terrifying uh, at yep. the same time. So about eight point five million total raised to date. Then, yes. Okay, very cool. Now, um, talk to me today about customers, right? So obviously, you had a bunch of relationships with customers via the marketplace, but how many customers do you have on your new sort of API product, your seed based product today? Yeah, so we really started to focus towards people that what we called our API ready, um, people that had the technical capabilities to, to not just know what an API is, but to integrate it uh, into their product. So that was really digital first um, type sellers and marketplaces. So Artsy uh, is a good example. Um, they're a marketplace that I think has like 7,500 merchants on their platform. Uh, they needed a way to really scale and automate um, their business globally and their fulfillment and post-purchase visibility side. Um, so we, we they were one of our first um, customers I really focus on finding like five to ten uh, large enterprise API ready type type customers um, that we went to market with, and now that we have those, uh, our whole idea is to try to make the product more accessible to a broader audience. So we initially had just a, cu- a custom API product, then we rolled out uh, hosted versions of that um, to make it easier for people with less technical capabilities, and now we're opening up our platform to people without the ability to integrate uh, altogether. So Adam, today though, maybe about 10 to 15 sort of onboarded artsies of the world actively using you, paying you. Yes, that's fair. Okay, great. And then again, API calls, it sounds like that's a key driver for you in addition to new seats on the platform. What are you charging like per API call on average? Um, it depends on the type of call. Um, it can range for from a couple cents, you know, for, for a tracking call. Um, the, the highest value call that we have uh, are the pricing calls. Um, I, we didn't totally get into it, but the, the simple ability to to show a price uh, across multiple items, price points, commodities, geographies um, is one of the huge pain points that we're solving. So the, the highest value calls that we have uh, are the pricing and booking calls um, for, for those types of transactions. Interesting. When does the SaaS business uh, get as big as the marketplace was? So, I mean, maybe you already passed it, but when do you get past $30,000 a month just on this new SaaS, this SaaS tool? We we passed that in our second quarter um, of existence. Um, oh, so okay. it, it took us it, it took it took us very substantially less time um, to get there um, with this new model. And and part, and part of the reason being is because we can tap into these um, you know existing customers that that are that are quite large and really start to ride uh, that wave. Eighty three grand a month is the magic million dollar run rate number. You've got fourteen days, fifteen days left in the year. Do you guys think you can break a million dollar run rate by the end of December? We're, we're, we're going to try. Um, we're we're going to get pretty close. I think, I think if not uh, this month, then January, um, certainly um, we're, we're, we're liking the way our growth and trajectory um, is going, but exciting times. I mean, the pricing and the usage is set up so nicely. I can't wait to see where you guys end up a year from today. Talk to me though a little bit. You know, Going through a pivot can sometimes mean a lot of dilution, right? You've got to convince investors to stick along. Sometimes there's a very big dilutive round in the middle of there. You were sole founder at the beginning, right? So you owned 100% at the start? Yep. Which is always nice, uh, obviously. And I, <laughs> <laughs> you do the million seed round to maybe some fun MVP development. You didn't do the three million sort of seed round. Most people selling ten to twenty percent in a seed round. Were you sort of in that same range, or did you do something super unique? No, we 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 we've, we've been kind of you know pretty standard when it comes to dilution and, and venture fundraising. Being a solo founder, 
has some benefits, you know, some downside too. what you mentioned, the, the, the one of the benefits, but I, I think it's really just belief in, in the business belief in, in, in the ecosystem and really just like holding true the course. We, we've been able to take a lot of the learnings we had previously and apply it to kind of this new model. Um, but, you know, we, we, we've come too far in an industry that is just has so much inertia that it, we, we, we couldn't have, have turned back. Okay. So is it fair to say that seed round was something like maybe a three on 20, you sold 15% of the business, something like that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then how did you negotiate the seed to new investors coming in notation? Did notation participate in the second, the second seed? So when we first started, notation was exclusively first check. Um, they've started to grow a bit over time, participated in it as much as they could, but we really went on to an entirely new uh, investor base, not because of lack of interest, just because of kind of fund construction and fund dynamics. So we've been at, we've added some pretty nice uh, new investors um, between you know cores and capital uh, in Chicago and a couple of other funds that have really seen this new direction that we're going uh, and wanted to help accelerate our growth um, into the go to market of the product. You've got a great group. We both share uh, investors, and Gangels is an investor in, in our company. Oh, nice! In Founder Path, so we share we share investors. I'm trying to give you some love here. You know, let you let you put yeah. us up a little bit. <laughs> Gangels is great. Go Gangels! They're incredible. Yeah. So so that four million in seed two, fair to say that was sort of ten to twenty percent dilution there, or something different. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much okay. ten to twenty percent dilution all, all along the way here. Yeah, yeah. So you've sold again 10 or 20% effectively three times. Now, did you set up an ESOP pool? And if so, what would you recommend to other solo founders trying to incentivize their employees? How much should they dedicate to that pool? I, I think 10%. I mean, I know you've asked this to other people before, and I think 10% is usually a good way to start. Um, I think I think what people don't realize is that for the people that that do stick around and grow, you want to continue to layer on and incentivize them. For the people that that don't, uh, and move on. A lot of that goes back into the pool too. Um, so just because you you grant it doesn't mean that it's you know always gone uh, forever. Mm -hmm. No, that's right. Very cool. All right. Well, healthy growth rate, scaling nicely. Uh, flesh out the team here before we wrap up with the famous five. How many folks today, full time? We're we're twenty folks. Um, about half of which is devoted to to product engineering. Um, the other side to you know logistics, account management, customer support, customer success, marketing, uh, finance, etc. There you guys have it. Adam, let's wrap up with a famous five. Number one, favorite book? Uh, I would say High Output uh, Management by uh, Andy Grove. Yeah. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I, I like to follow the startup CEOs generally. Um, I think there's a lot to learn from different CEOs with different focuses of products. So I, I, don't tend, I tend not to focus on one uh, in particular. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building, art, building Arta? We, we kind of have cr a crush on Stripe um, across... The product, uh, the marketing, the docs, uh, just the design, everything about it. Stripe, Stripe for us is kind of the gold standard. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? I, I try to get eight. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. I don't have a problem falling asleep, but but staying asleep uh, is, is difficult when you get your mind uh, churning all the time. Fair, fair enough. And what's your situation, Adam? Married, single, kiddos? I am recently married. I got married this past summer during during kind of the height of COVID. So it uh, was nice, uh, nice, to, nice to have someone who can support me throughout this journey. Any kiddos or none yet? Not yet. Hope hope that changes soon. Uh, I got I, Arda. I got Arda as a kiddo, but not uh, not any human kiddos. Obviously, we'll call it a half baby or maybe a one point five. Yeah, baby. Exactly. Uh, how, exactly. Last question here, Adam. How old are you? I am thirty seven. And what are you wishing you back when you were twenty? I wish I knew everything back when I was 20. I think that you learn so much and kind of how to prioritize time, um, how to how to be confident in in yourself, what's important. Um, and I think in terms of running a company, 
um, you you kind of double in age every year. So uh, I feel a lot a lot older than uh, than 37 with what I've learned in the last couple of years. Guys, Arda.io, they started off back in 2016 as a marketplace, grew it to about $300,000 a month in GMB going through the platform with a 10% take rate. So a healthy model, but they'd raised about $4 million up to that point. And Adam said, you know what? This isn't growing how we want it to grow. Let's pivot. They moved to a different model, now not a marketplace, actually selling sort of an API tool into the artsies of the world, Sotheby's of the world to manage, showing pricing, bidding, shipping, auctions, all of that for luxurious items, artwork, and things of that nature. They grew from $30,000 a month, again, pre-COVID. But on marketplace model to about call it $75,000, a month today as they continue to scale. Uh, again, Adam, sole founder, trying to preserve equity, but also incentivize employees with ESOP pool. Adam, thanks for taking us to the top. Thank you.